and welcome to Potshot. I'm Alex Towles, and I'm joined this week by Seb and Manus to have a look at another big away win, this time against Burnley. I will start the podcast by preemptively apologising if uh, you, I sound a little bit worse than the usual. I don't right now, but that might deteriorate over the course of the episode. I can feel a cold coming on. You know when it's just like in the back of your throat? And it's there, and you know it's coming, and you know it's going to be bad. That's where I'm at right now in terms of my general health. Um, so hopefully my voice stays intact for the duration of the podcast. I make no promises and apologize if it doesn't. It's genuinely the worst feeling in the world. Like, that feeling when you know a cold's coming on is, for me, worse than the cold itself. I'm not having fun, uh... With that in mind, the pot shot question for today is what is your go-to remedy for if you're feeling under the weather, be it comfort food or literal medicine or something else? Um, Seb, what have you, what do you normally do if you're feeling a bit ill? I've never thought about this. Um, I suppose I just take the relevant medicine, lay in bed and watch a film or something like <laughs> I don't think there's much else I can do in that situation. Fair enough. Manus? Well, I don't have a comfort food or anything, but for in general, when I have a cold or have a fever, there's this, uh, it's not a medicine, it's a how. It's an Ayurvedic tablet uh, made of natural right. materials. Uh, I just dissolve a couple of those in warm water and I, I have that. I think it helps me a lot. Yeah. I, I have similar. My, mine is not a comfort food. It is two drinks that I always turn to if I've got a cold or something like that. Um, the first is uh, Baraka, which is a... I, I'm going to be naming brands. If these brands want to sponsor us, they can do so. Um, but they're not currently. Uh, the first is Baraka, which is like a little... It's like a vitamin tablet that you drop in a drink uh, and then you drink that at the start of the day and it's got... It, it does two things according to like its little label. Firstly, it's got loads of vitamins in it, which will just help generally. Uh, and secondly, it like the vitamins it's got in it help it helps you to make the most out of food that you eat. Like any nutrients you put in your body for the rest of the day will, in theory, work better. You'll get more out of them because you had a Barocco at the start of the day. And the second thing is Lucozaid Energy Original. Um, I got put on this when I had COVID in 2021. Uh, I was chatting to a mate who uh, recommended that I get some Lucozade Original. And it's not the nicest stuff in the world. It, it's not the nicest drink in the world. I don't drink it when I'm not ill, like just freely, casually. But for some reason, drinking Lucozade Original makes me feel better. Probably something to do with the caffeine and copious amounts of sugar. So I've got myself a bottle of Lucasade Original right now. I'll be sipping over the course of the episode. Had a Barocca earlier this morning and I will be continuing that routine until I feel less bad. Um, speaking of feeling good, uh, we won 5-0 at the weekend. That makes it 11 in the last two and 21 goals in the previous five games since coming back from our little winter break. Erdogan opened the scoring with a lovely finish from the Ozone, as uh, Manus has called it and other people have called it before. Saka made it two from the penalty spot after Trossard was fouled in the area by Lorenz Assignon. 
Our third came less than 90 seconds after halftime, Saka scoring his second with a trademark blasted finish into the roof of the net after Erdegaard slotted him through. Our fourth came from Trossard. Kivliol played the ball in after galloping down the left-hand side. Havertz got tackled and Leo finished it off. But Kai would get another chance, sneaking in behind the Burnley backline to receive a throw-in from Kivliol, nutmegging Delcra and calmly slotting past Trafford with an assertiveness that was very nice to see, given how uncertain he's been in front of goal quite famously during the last, well, I'd say just during his Arsenal tenure, but he was famous for it at Chelsea as well. The comfortable scoreline allowed Arteta to bring off some important players as well, with Saka, Rice, Trossard and Havertz all being brought off with an eye to Porto in midweek. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Tuesday when we first put it out... Let's start where the game started, with Erdogan scoring for Arsenal. Is it an absolutely incredible finish? Manus, I know you want to wax lyrical about it, so I'll just wind you up and set you off. Yeah, I mean, um, I've gotten so used to him scoring from there that every time the ball comes to him on that cutback or, or, or just like bouncing very nicely... And like all excited. I think I think Martinelli didn't mean to send the cross to him. I think he played it behind. And it just bounces. I felt like uh, the ball sort of slightly got stuck inside his body. But just like he just whips his foot around and finds just the right gap between the defenders to put it in the bottom corner. It was so pleasing to watch. And I mean, it's four minutes... And you see that sort of finish. Um, even the celebrations were like kind of muted. Uh, that you know we're gonna win. Like the guys know that we're gonna beat them. So, I mean, it's incredible watching Odegaard play for football right now. Where would you rank Odegaard in terms of the best finishes at the club, Manas? I think he is uh, um, top three, maybe. I think Trossard, Martinelli, and then Odegaard, and maybe Saka. Um, I think Saka is slightly ahead of Martinelli. I'd, I'd put Trossard first, yeah. Udegaard second, and then Saka, Martinelli, somewhere along third and fourth. Yeah, I think Trossard's ball striking is probably the best. Yeah, like He's just got the, the best balance uh, when he's striking through a ball. But yeah. This finish and this performance from Udegaard are like emblematic of how good he's been recently. But it's not just his finishing skills which have been showing up. He has been amazing all over the pitch. We've talked before about how he's had kind of a dual role where he's leading the press uh, out of possession, but then in possession, dropping back and really orchestrating play. Let's chat pressing for a little bit. Um, Manus, what can you... What have you thought of Erdogan's role leading Arsenal's press in these last two games? Not just the last two games. I think he's the, the technical leader when it comes to pressing. And maybe in since December, he's been the midfield technical leader. Um, like he's just been the one who's driving the team. Like you, you can you can see him on the field, um, just asking everybody to start pressing, asking everybody to compress, compress, and he's usually the one who's just bursting away and uh, trying to get close down the defender or the wide wide centre back when when they receive the ball, and uh, I think it's sort of why he's the captain and why he's the leader as well. Um, right after Havertz's goal, we're five 0 up. 
and this guy is nuts he's <laughs> running down uh, the left center back's throat uh, at 5-0 up straight from the kickoff after the goal's been scored he like at what point do you tell him to calm the fuck down <laughs> you know we don't need to press that way anymore uh, it's okay uh, maybe he's been listening to the criticisms that we just sit back a lot but yeah man made calm down it's 5 minutes so so this is something that's not new is it this has been since luton since november it's just that in december it was stuttering and not producing the results perhaps perhaps because we weren't quite as fluid as we needed to be perhaps because we were knackered perhaps because the ball just didn't go in the goal but now the ball is very much going into the goal and it's showing Erdegaard to be absolutely incredible. I suppose for a player who is in large parts a facilitator and sort of are contingent on the team performing as a whole, your performances obviously drop a bit when the team itself drops a bit. And I think Fulham especially and sort of the games around that time, there was a lot of team issues that sort of bled on to individuals having less impact than they probably would have. The West Ham game is a bit of an exception to that in that he was excellent at basically doing everything in that game. Um, But yeah, I suppose once the team had sort of found its groove again, the impact Odegaard has on the team has sort of come into the forefront again. Yeah, I think post the Dubai break, Uh, is when we sort of fixed those issues, sort of, the build-up issues and the slow play in general and, you know, Saka getting doubled up, Martinelli getting doubled up. And I think the solution and the general idea was found in December when Odegaard started dropping deep. I think just not dropping deep in how we generally mean it when we say it, but being that nominal central midfielder, that extra man in build-up, where we switch from the 3-2 build-up to the 4-2 build-up. And I want to talk about this in deep later. Uh, so he's he's the one who's pinning the opposition's striker in midfield, allowing more players and, and an overload in the first phase. So I think it's sort of like those ideas sort of, uh, you know, come together after post the pipe break. And, and we sort of, I think, if, if, if there were any fitness issues, those get resolved too, I think, during that break. Uh, we've just... We've just looked more uh, fit and and better conditioned than how like the, at least the last two teams that we played. So, as we mentioned, a major contributing factor to our form in the last few games has been that we've been leaning on Odegaard a lot. He runs everything out of possession, in possession. He is the man for Arsenal right now. But then when Arteta was looking to bring players off uh, at the end of this Burnley game, when everything was wrapped up and everything was fine, Erdogan still stayed on the pitch. Even when White, Saka, guys that normally don't come off at all came off, even when we were resting these big players, really important players, Erdogan is so important that he doesn't come off even when we're 4-0 up. So... I suppose my worry is, are we going to run him into the ground? Are we asking him to do too much? I, I, I don't think so because, um, 
I think he, he's played the fourth highest minutes in the Premier League so far for us. Just uh, yeah, I've just got the numbers here, right? So I think I don't think this is a problem. Uh, so Rice came off, Saka came off. Those are, they are in the top three for minutes played, so makes sense. White came off because like he's been nursing an injury and maybe you know he needs more rest. And Martinelli came off later. Uh, so I think uh, instead of so it's more of a deal of you know do you want to remove everybody from the front line and disrupt the rhythm a lot um, and less of maybe we're running in, into the ground. I think his minutes are fine right now. Yeah, I, my 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 point is more that like not that it's a problem now. Will it be a problem in the future? Because he's our key man with the ball. He's our key man without the ball, and we're playing him for ninety minutes every game. Surely at some point that's gonna, like, uh, uh, unless he's just magically gonna stay fit forever, surely at some point we need someone who can take some of the load off him, either by reducing his role or by replacing him on the pitch. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's hard to talk about this without looking at maybe how many minutes he had played up till December last season and how many he's played till now and I'd say because we've had a slow start to the season um, maybe he's going to be fine but yeah I think the fact that he is the press leader and we sort of press relentlessly in certain games uh, I think yeah I think there is there will be a time when we need to find a balance and just not press maybe Um, maybe go hybrid sooner or kill games off sooner so I think we need to find that balance with him and with the rest of the squad as well. Because obviously we can't keep pressing relentlessly game after game after game. I suppose it's a bit more about a lack of alternative, as it were, for what Martin Odegaard can produce. I think we don't really have another proficient second phase player apart from situations where you can put Jorginho in and have Rice perhaps with him. <clears throat> that sort of solves some of the issues. Um a thing we could do, especially if we we look to rest Udegaard and get sort of a bit of his approximate value back on the pitch, but I suppose he has been a really durable player over the last few years, and I suppose answering this question fully is uh, only possible with the with the sports science data that only the club has. But yeah, it's 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 a taxing role and. I'm I'm really interested to see how if if it's something that can be sustainable. So we'll talk a bit more about the wider system around Erdogan and not just how he's improved, but how the whole team have improved recently in the second half of the podcast. But I do want to talk a little bit more about this game in particular. We talked about Erdogan's role in the press already, but let's talk about it a little bit more generally because a big part of why we were in such good control of this game throughout is because Burnley just weren't able to work around us when we were out of possession. Uh, Manas, can you tell us a bit more? Yeah, I think the Trossard goal comes after, uh, I think the, the whole 60 to 65th minute sequence uh, up to the 66th minute when the goal comes is very interesting because we press uh, them 
and we cause high turnover. So the first high turnover is caused when Martinelli reads uh, the only available pass. So the, uh, the central midfielder, I think it's Santa Burge, who's allowed to receive the ball. So I think Rice or, or it's Odegaard who's pressing him. They slightly delay the press so that he can receive the ball and play it uh, wide to his right centre back. And I think Martinelli reads it super, super early. And he's like on his bike and he intercepts. And I think he personally should have scored. I don't know why he's trying to cut back inside there. He should have just shot and he probably would have scored. Uh, so from that, I think Trossard takes a sort of like a half half chance um, and goes wide. And then again, in the next minute, he has another shot, which he blasts over, which is caused by another high turnover, where uh, we press them towards their left. Uh, there's a long ball and White wins his uh, White wins his header and goes straight into Martinelli, who's into Trossard, and he just takes a you know uh, first time shot. After that, uh, surprisingly, the goal itself, uh, Trossard's goal itself, doesn't come from the press, but like from a goal kick, and we win the first and the second ball. Um, that's how Trossard's goal comes. But all of his three shots that he had in this game, he could have scored from. And they came within two or three minutes of each other. The first shot was in the 63rd minute, caused by a high turnover. The next shot was in like the 64th minute and his goal comes in the 65th. Yeah, so it's like 64, 65, 66. And he could have had a hat trick with those. So I think it's important to uh, convert these chances that we create from the high, from high turnovers. And what I, I don't remember which game it was where we were so wasteful in the early part of the season. Yeah. Spurs uh, at home. Spurs at home, yeah. Jesus misses. I think there were two chances which we missed from the high turnover. Mm-hmm. I think and when you convert those, the game's, the game's pretty much over. Uh, if This game was pretty over by the third goal, but yeah. I think one of the things that makes us so impenetrable out of possession is that even if you try and bypass our press by just lumping it up to your big guys our guys are bigger <laughs> so if you look at our back four from this game you've got Kivior, Gabriel, Saliba and White they're all pretty great in the air and if you watch back this game you can see even times when it, it like we'll press Burnley suffocate them they can't play through so they go okay try and play it long and then Saliba wins a header, turnover. Just any time Burnley tried to go long, our centre back won. Our centre backs won the ball, and we were back in control of the game. Obviously, this doesn't work against every side. Like Brentford have an Ivan Tony, City have a Haaland. Those guys have the physicality needed to stand up to uh, our back line. But if unless you have one of those guys, there's almost no way to get out of Arsenal out of possession. You can't play through us, and you can't play over us. Yeah, you need you need to dominate either one of the centre backs uh, to get the ball down, or you just need to be a very very elite team with ball at feet. So somebody like a City or Liverpool might be able to do it, uh, but otherwise, yeah, we press incredibly well. I think there is also an element of setting these deliberate pockets. Um, let's call them pressing traps, like uh, the the Trossard penalty which is again caused by a high turnover um, in the first half. The balls again work towards the left 
and we give them this pocket of space where uh, the the left center back can hit a dri- driven ball into the dropping winger or striker whoever that is and then rice sort of delays his press and then just pinches the ball that's where the penalty comes from so i think there is there is an em- element of us being extremely smart and shrewd i think that's the right word here uh, in the press these days it's incredible i i think there's an important note here is that burnley burnley aren't a good team but the one thing that they actually are pretty good at is central progression um recently the athletic put out these radars that were radar visualizations that were all about like how does your team play and burnley they were pretty bad at most stuff but they were actually showed up as being better than us at central progression obviously we're not great at central progression but the point is burnley are one of the better sides in the league at playing through a press and they just have no chance against us normally when you're talking about oh bad team can't play through our press of course they can't that's not the case with burnley this is like the one thing that they can do and they didn't have a hope against us i think i just uh, i know we've said i don't know how many times you've said this that they're shit but i just want to give some credit to them because they i think i was watching their setup i think the press setup and them out of possession was generally pretty good the structure was nice uh, their build their four two build up structures were nice this is the we're just an incredible football team like you can't like who there are pretty much i think five teams in the world right now who could go to to do against us one last thing on this game before we go into the break this was the second game in a row which saw Kivior start at left back and while that's not massively notable given Zinchenko is injured what was notable is how our back four shaped up White was the player inverting inverting from right back and Kivior was shifting across to form the back three alongside Gabriel and Saliba which meant Gabriel was the central centre back in that back three Gabriel famously, at the start of the season, was dropped for the first three games because Arteta didn't want to play him in that role. But he's done it for the last two games now, and he hasn't like been visibly bad. So I suppose my questions are, why is he playing now? And what's different to when we've seen Gabriel play at central centre-back before? I suppose these are two very distinct um circumstances i think currently the virtue of playing this way is a maximizing kivio at left back considering having him in the in the back three sort of playing right around the same role ben white usually plays gets the best out of his specific skill set and gets him into areas where he's most comfortable in as well as having the guy who is like most comfortable inverting sansinchenko in the role sort of maximizing that way and the the natural consequence of that is uh gabriel moving into central center back just the way it shapes out there's a lot of positives there a uh kivio b Sinche- uh, white and another sort of positive that isn't talked about enough in my opinion at least is the way we're able to sort of exploit saliba's carrying qualities and getting him into more advanced positions, which is something that's worked quite well in those last few games. With Gabriel specifically, I think he's done well in the games he's played there. I think it's 
yet to be seen how it holds up against better teams that sort of key in on him and sort of cut off some of his angles and sort of limit him in that position. If that's if if he's able to withstand that, that's pretty great and that shows a lot of development from where he was beforehand when he played there. There's a few handful of examples where he's done that. Yeah, I think that I think that uh, in the in the games that uh, Gabriel's being the central center back, it's just the dynamics of it because um, we tried inverting Kivior and that doesn't necessarily work very well. So Ben mm-hmm. White becomes suddenly becomes the more natural choice to invert while preserving the dynamics of the rotations that we have, uh, depending on where we are as and where we where the ball is basically and what phase we're in. So it 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 could change again uh, when probably Zinchenko comes back from his injury. Then he starts inverting again, and suddenly Saliba now is the central centre back. But I would argue that even when Gabriel is the central centre back, he isn't because Rice is the central centre back. He's the one who's more responsible for progression. Like he's dropping into the back line situationally when the pivots are staggered and when the forwards are. When the opposition forwards are trying to press the the centre back on the ball, which is Gabriel in this sense, so I think that's how you manage the angles uh, or the angle bias that perhaps Gabriel has a little bit of. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it's more of a managing weaknesses kind of thing where. Having Kivior inverting in the Zinchenko role is more bad than having Gabriel at centre back, central centre back. Therefore, we've changed the system to mitigate the weaknesses as best as possible. Yeah, instead of managing weaknesses, I would like to call it finding solutions. Fair enough. Uh, and on that optimistic, positive note, let's take a break. What a lovely break. I do like our jingle. Thank you, James Blake. So we're going to spend the second half of this podcast taking a bit of a wider look because obviously we're in pretty good run of form and it would be incredibly easy for us to sit here and get overexcited and say things like, we are clearly the best team in the league. What other team in the league scores 21 goals in five games? We're ridiculous. We're going to win the league at a canter. We're going to go on a city run, winning 15 games in a row. But we'd like to be a little bit more considered than that here. At least a li- just a little bit, just a tad. So we want to talk about a few of the systematic changes and if they are going to work through the rest of the season. So let's first uh, talk about the system or systems we've used since coming back from Doha. We've seen two main systems since Doha. We've seen the one that was played against Liverpool with the 4-4-2 kind of 4-2-4 kind of thing with Erdogan and Havertz as a front two and a true double pivot of Jorginho and Rice where Erdogan and Havertz in possession will drop in to form a midfield box and then Gabriel Martinelli and Saka are tasked with doing the running into the back line and then we've seen the system that was been used to such great effect in the last two games 
where we've had Kivior playing at left back, Ben White inverting to form a double pivot, um, Erdogan both being the primary second phase progressor and leading the press at the same time um, with Trossard up top and Havertz playing so well, pushing beyond him. First off, let's talk about the flexibility that they've got here because the fact that we can play distinctly different systems uh, against different opponents and look so comfortable playing both is a real feather in our cap. Um, Manas, can you tell us a bit more about about the flexibility of the Arsenal game plans? Yeah, I think all of this stems from the coach having a very clear vision and philosophy uh, of how he wants to play the game. Uh, because without having a very clear set of fundamentals of football, uh, it's hard to, one, build your squad, squad. And secondly, hard to actually compete consistently throughout this league. Um, do you guys remember when uh, Emery came in, he said that I want the team to be a chameleon team. And he was playing... Uh, God, who's, who's our central midfielder that... Uh, Lucas Torreira, number 10. Tor- Torreira, he was playing number 10. He, like he, was, he was sort of playing... Uh, as a false nine-ish, high ten, uh, I think I really lost his mind uh, towards the end. That uh, so I think what Arteta has done is actually made this team true, a uh, true chameleon team by developing the Arsenal platform, as I may call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically your. It's just your set of fundamentals. It's your philosophy. Um, it's basically you go to school. These players go to school. For one week, every between games, they learn. They learn the fundamentals of our data football. They learn the platform, and if you pick anybody out of a lineup and say, if you pick Trossard and you tell him that you're going to play right centre back, he's not going to do it as well as Saliba, but he will know where to stand or sort of like he could. He can imagine where the ball will come from, and he can move in and out of position. And now you go and watch the last two games and see how the rotations function. You can call the rotations out before the ball is played into the player. You you know how they'll they'll move. One player moves, the other reacts, and so on and so forth. It's hard to play against. So I think post December, what's happened is he Arteta has realized the teams sort of figured us out. Uh, having a static bunch of five players between the lines in the last line. It's difficult to do uh, because we don't have the central midfielders currently or the centre-backs willing to play those passes, especially when the spaces are very small. So what he's done is dynamic. try to create uh, dynamism in the team when and that's where, we, where we're at our best. So you overload in the first phase, you drop one of the eights, then you move together as a team into the second phase you invert one of one of your fullbacks. You push that dropping it back into position, and when you do it consistently through movements and dynam- dynamics, you start to free your players. Uh, the opposition needs to move around. Then, you know, you need to decompress the block. We've talked about this in various spots. You either decompress laterally, you decompress horizontally. So I think that's what the platform is. So now, what you can do is you can take out Jesus. You can play Trossard as a false nine. 
um if you are uh, going against a team who are very very good in the press like a city or liverpool you can play havertz as a as a nine and you can lump it forward when you can't build up or when zinchenko is injured uh you tried to invert kvior but he's not so good so what do you do you invert white who's slightly better on the ball you maintain all the dynamics inverting white what it does is sort of free saka as well because now there's a confusion for the left winger whether to stay narrow or stay wide right not everybody wants to play a deep block not every team wants to play a deep block so if you're not and if you if you are here to play football we're going to take you apart because we can plug and play these players anywhere we want so i think that is what the fundamental is like that's what what's changed and that's what what's pleasing uh it's just exciting to see where we go from here so do you think this has always been the goal then to play like this since the start of the season or do you think arteta's been trying trying different solutions trying to find solutions and then landed on something that works really well Yeah I think this is uh, this is basically part of finding a solution. So you have your um the platform is ready right and now you can place whatever blocks you want however you want. Your your build whatever you building on top of the platform may look slightly different might function slightly different but essentially you can plug in pl- uh, plug parts in and out to create different solutions. but there's there's also a deeper strategy and i don't want to get into it in this podcast but we also we also as a strategy i think in this club what we've done is we've also exploited the margins very very finely very very well the set pieces the throw ins um just like all of those things that nobody pays attention to so because you've got one week to prepare for arsenal from your last game you know you're you're, you're not wasting two days preparing for set pieces but you kind of need to but we've been training set pieces for the last 2 years right so that's where we, we like we can create uh, marginal gains it's not even marginal anymore we've scored the most set piece goals i don't know it's not marginal when it bails you out of trouble time after time after time and i think what the fundamental thing here as well is the merit of having a coach that you you believe in in terms of his methodology and keeping him around long enough so he can instill those same principles to an, to a point like if you constantly churn through different managers and have them install some of his fr- principles but not all of them you just end up in the cycle that teams like Manchester United have been in for ages where nobody had the time to sort of properly construct a coherent thing and i think that's a large reason why we see that our low block is as good as it is our mid block is as good as well organized as it is our press is as organized as it is and it is also as variable as it is right like we can chop and change and use different systems within our pressing structure in accordance to how the opposition team plays same thing goes to in, for in possession we found a group of multifaceted players that are able to fulfill different roles and as opposed to last season where we didn't see it as much we are starting to see solutions based on getting the best out of those individual players where in last year we w- did still see 
uh, Kieran Tierney play at left back and having to invert into midfield in positions he's not comfortable in, having Rob Holding try and uh, replicate the Saliba role. We are now seeing Arteta being at a point where he's comfortable changing dynamics slightly to get the best players into best positions. That's emblematic with the white inversions. It's emblematic with the way we're deploying Martin Odegaard in the absence of Granit Xhaka. And those things are fine. And I think another aspect of that, of our improvement recently at least, has been a sort of dispositional shift in that we've started to bait the press more and sort of have a fundamental principle of drawing teams out and getting those press triggers going for the opposition team to then exploit space rather than being contempt and pinning teams into their half and having to sort of pick these low blocks that we we had faced in the first half of the season as much, which then also goes to the improvement the wingers have had over the recent weeks where we are affording them more space in behind. We're also getting them into positions where they are inside more. That's a, a, a space thing in the disposition we're currently employing, as well as what Manus has also said, finding rotations that get them into those positions to exploit their best qualities. It's also emblematic in how we're using the central forwards. Now I think we found something really good in Trossard and Kai Havertz together. Those two have a really, really good understanding with one another, are able to relate with one another. When one drops, the other goes, and so on. They found themselves something that works, that gets the best out of Havertz as well. I think the last two games are some of his best yet. Um, And it's a sort of holistic goal of finding solutions within the for years trained principles we have ourselves and using those to maximize the players we have in the squad and getting the best out of them and I think we're doing a really good job of that especially in those two weeks where we had time and space to sort of gain clarity on where we are and I think that had gone a long way in finding solutions for the problems we've had. Seb, I remember when we chatted during the Doha break and then immediately afterwards when we were talking to Abel Meteoros. And that's one of the big things that you talked about is how we need to find a way of getting our best players in the best positions for them. Uh, So the fact that we've been able to do that consistently in these last two games and even in the Liverpool game as well um, is a very, very positive sign. But... To play devil's advocate for a second, these last two games have been against two poor teams in poor form. And we got games against some better teams coming up, particularly Porto and Newcastle, our next two games. I think it's fair to say that they are not at the elite level of a Liverpool, and they are not anywhere as bad as Burnley and West Ham have been recently. So... Do you think this system that we played for the last two games is going to be translatable to those stronger opponents? I wouldn't necessarily say that we're going to see the same system if we're just talking about sort of where each individual is on the pitch in the last two games, like the the Trossard and Havertz dynamic, etc. But what we have done, which is a positive, is find ways within variable systems of finding space and finding ways to get 
players into into space and into good positions. And I think evidence of that has come in the Liverpool game where we did play an exceptional opposition, but we did use those press-baiting principles to find space and find situations to get Martinelli and Saka into good positions and use Havertz's qualities in, in good ways and use use Jorginho in a role that suits him, that gets good things out of uh, Declan Rice. And it's not necessarily about finding a one-way fix on getting everyone into their best positions, but recognizing their qualities and platforming them as such as you have balance in the team and have players that work with one another in spaces they're comfortable in, right? For example, the Newcastle game, we could see similar things to what we saw in the Liverpool game. Against Porto, we could see similar things we saw against West Ham, for example. Um, And I think as much as better opposition offers different things, I think the thing we've been most critical on and I think we've been most skeptical on is finding solutions against deep blocks and against teams that don't afford us that space. And with those principles, and as well, when teams do drop into deep blocks, we have been better at filling in those spaces between the lines and having more connectivity in the team that we are able to generate chances in open play (laughs) against teams that don't want to afford us that space and try to sort of nullify us it it was hard going against new uh, against nottingham forest but especially against burnley quality permitting we did see a lot of improvements in those areas so i'm quite confident in the changes we've made and the sort of improvements we found in the team obviously each game pro- uh, proposes its 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 own intricacies and Manas, do you have any thoughts no, not really. I think you you asked about the Champions League, right, in Porto. Uh, uh, yeah. So my the, the original question was like, do you think that the system we used against uh, in the last two games against Burnley and West Ham will be translatable? It will be translated to Porto to Newcastle. Um, to Newcastle maybe because um, we used to the environment with Porto. I think. He may, Miguel may think about going pragmatic uh, because I don't think we have a choice in terms of personnel, uh, at least in in the attack. So mix and match there. Um, but yeah, just the general choice of strategy to go against the team because we know the platform is going to be the same. Whether we rotate as heavily or not in the Champions League is going to depend on how pragmatic Miguel is going to be. And I see if I know him. I think we're going to be a little bit more pragmatic in the Champions League than versus Newcastle. Because Newcastle is going to press high like maniacs. We, we know that and then they're going to run and run and run. Um, so yeah, maybe he's going to beat the press versus them and uh, try to finish the game early. But we'll see. Actually, I don't know what's going to happen versus Porto. Yeah, I think one one of the most interesting things here is that None of us know anything about Porto, so that's going to be a bit of an enigma. Uh, what I do know is that they haven't been amazing in the league this season. They are third uh, with 48 points from 22 games. Uh, that puts them seven points behind first place Benfica on 55. Sporting are also ahead of them on 52, but Sporting actually have two games in hand. Um, so Porto haven't exactly been amazing 
in the league. In their Champions League group, they finished level on points with Barcelona, but came second in the group on their head-to-head score against Barcelona. So they're not an amazing team. And um, <laughs> I'll be honest, the extent of my prep for this seg- for talking about Porto was listening to uh, the Ranks FC podcast ranking the Champions League last 16 teams, and they put Porto 13th out of 16. So not great. So as we come into the run-in then, we're going to see more players coming back from injury. We'll get the return of Zinchenko, the return of hopefully Jesus, though who knows it will last more than five minutes. How, how do you think these guys coming back in will affect the positive dynamics we've seen in these last few games? Uh, and do you think we've got it in us to steamroll through the run-in uh, rather than collapsing like we did last season? Yeah, I think this time the run-in we're going to be, we're going to be probably about to peak at some point in March or April. I think this, um, I don't know if, if it's planned or anything, but I think consciously, uh, I think we learned a lot from last season that peaking in the second half of the season is more important and uh, just staying competitive through the first half of the season is is this is basically a, the template of the Premier League, I guess. Um, I think Zinchenko and Gabriel coming back, Jesus coming back, Jesus goes straight into the team, maybe even Zinchenko. Both of them go straight back into the team, I think. Um, and you can play any dynamics with them, both of them in there. Zinchenko is going to give you a lot of central progression. He's he's one of the best at that. And I think there was some tweet that I was read, reading. Um, I don't know who it was from. He's still one of the best central progressors, midfielders in the league. Like He's almost at as good as Alexander-Arnold has been in midfield. This season. And he's not played a lot of games, by the way. So, yeah, I think he's going to go straight back. And he's just going to mix and match depending on the opposition that we're facing. Probably go pragmatic versus uh, the bigger teams away. And uh, play or play our game that we're mostly used to. I, I definitely think it's a positive having both of those back at some point. But I think what the run has shown is that we're not as reliant on their form to translate onto team form as we were at this point last season. On the run-in, I think it's going to be interesting. We have a good run between the Porto games. We play Newcastle at home, Sheffield away, and then Brentford at home. But the run-in itself is quite taxing. We have Chelsea home, City away, Luton home, Brighton away, Villa home, Wolves away, Tottenham away, Bournemouth at home, United away, and Everton at home at the last game of the season. How we manage that, and especially how we manage that with Champions League football, permitting that we get past Porto, how we manage that period and how we manage the players in the squad, are we comfortable giving players that haven't played so much prominent game time to rest the players we have for other games that's going to be an interesting consideration i think it's it's i i found the stat yesterday that uh really threw me off and i, I posted it in the group chat and that's that kivio has now played more minutes than jorginho 
which sounds like it shouldn't be true, but it's true. Um, but these are the guys that are going to be necessary to sort of sustain this this run over the over the run in with some really really tough games in there. Yeah, I think I've been pleasantly surprised by the quality of our depth players this season. Kivior's been good when called on. Nelson's been good when called on. Um, but I think to talk about potential worst case scenarios. Uh, Touching wood, this doesn't happen, obviously. But what if a Saliba, a uh, Rice, a uh, Erdogan goes down for significant time, like Saliba went down last season? Do you guys think we can fade that? Or do you think we'd still be stuffed? I think if Timber comes back around March, we're able to somewhat sustain... Any absences of Saliba, though the quality level obviously drops considering he's one of the best central defenders in the world. I think Rice and Odegaard are the breaking points in the team, as it were. I think we have no direct replacement for either of them. And in case either of them goes, there's a lot of things that would need to be switched around or done differently to get any sort of to replace their value in any way and i think it's it's those two on which the season hinges most of all rice you're able to sort of rotate him at points with Jorginho in games where you're not looking to press as intensively to leave Jorginho in like one-on-one situations or anything but Udegaard especially is someone who's just not replaceable at the current moment especially if you if someone like Fabio Vieira is still either injured or not showing what he's sort of capable of yeah I think um, we still have a single point of failures in the squad Saliba I think it may affect us I, I even think if Gabriel gets injured we might have an issue but then we have uh, Kivior who can play there at least, right? But who's going to replace Saliba? Who's going to replace Rice? Maybe you can like replace Rice in the aggregate in the sense that you play a consistent pivot instead of a staggered pivot. You play a more flatter pivot to stay stay the same and have the same rest defense capabilities. Uh, but then again, yeah, there's no replacing Odegaard. Maybe you, maybe if Kivior's back, oh, not Kivior. What's his name? Vieira's back and um, with him and with ESR, maybe you can replace Odegaard slightly, but um, then you've got to rethink the press uh, dynamics. And it, we're, we're also then going back to the point of having to rely on players who are notoriously unreliable, especially in terms of fitness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, still single point of failures in the squad, uh, but I think we're going to be fine as long as we manage their minutes. I think that's the most important part, and that is the lesson to be learned from last season. Um, I know we were speaking about this earlier. Um, uh, last season, I think uh, De Bruyne played about 2,400 minutes, and Odegaard has already played 1,900 minutes this season. Uh, so, there's uh, there you go, right? So, you, we, we need... Uh, ESR and Vieira to start taking some minutes off of 
uh, Odegaard, at least in games where we would be one. But that, see, that's where the problems with our current systems are, is because we've built this team around Odegaard. So I think he is the most undroppable player in the team. Like, it, does, it doesn't matter if we're playing... Like, say say we were still in the FA Cup and we got drawn against a League 2 side. Erdegaard would still play that match because he's that vital to our to our system. Um, and I think that's... that That's the worry for me going into the run-in and that's the big difference between us and City still is that City, for the first half of the season... At varying points, they didn't have De Bruyne and they didn't have Haaland. And they were able to... I'm not claiming they were as good as they were in the back end of last season. Of course not. But they were able to maintain touching distance with top of the league to the point where they are now, what, third with a game in hand? And only two points off the top, is that right? Three points off top. Yeah, so three points off top with a game in hand. On City, before you finish that, on City, I'd say their point of failure is Rodri mm-hmm. and not De Bruyne. Yeah. And Rodri played like 3,000 minutes or something last season. That was ridiculous. Yeah, 3,200 minutes or so last season. And this season when he was suspended and injured, I think, in, for about a couple of weeks, they lost and dropped points every game. That he He's their point of failure in that squad. So, yeah, let's just hope that our points of failure stay fit this season, unlike last season, touch wood. Um, on that note of uh, checking ourselves before we get too excited, I think it's about time to end the podcast. Uh, we will be back next week discussing the Porto game and the Newcastle game in great detail as per usual. Uh, thank you to Manas and Seb for joining me as always. Uh, thank you to James Blake for making the music. You can find him on all good music platforms at JW Blake. Uh, if you want to find us, you can find us on Twitter at PotshotPod. If you want to find any of the crew, you can find the you can find their handles in the description. And I am trying to post more on Blue Sky as well because twitter continues to suck if you've enjoyed the show please leave us a like and a review or share the pod with your arsenal friends it does really make a big difference uh, if you share the pod share us around to get the word out get more people worrying about arsenal tactics even when we're playing in good form we'll be back next week thanks for listening cheers <laughs>